Hello and welcome to the Spotify Club podcast where we bring you unheard stories of sports fans, athletes and professionals. I am your host Abhishek who is passionate about cricket and interested in listening to stories of the sporting world. In this episode I had a chat with Tom Wilds who is a PE teacher in secondary college, a soccer coach living in Melbourne and a passionate English cricket fan. The conversation was divided into two halves. The first half where I spoke to Tom about his career and how he ended up being a PE teacher. What are the roles and responsibilities and different aspects of a PE teacher? How it has evolved over the years and how he manages to run PE classes online during the COVID restrictions in the past 2 years. In the second half, I spoke to English cricket fan Tom where he shared his memories of the cricket world cup victories in the year 2010 and 2019 spoke about the recent controversies revolving around english cricket the introduction of the 100 format the upcoming ashes series and the t20 world cup in uae and his pred- predictions for the tournament hope you like this and here we go So welcome Tom uh, to the Spotify Club podcast and uh, thank thank you for being here. No absolute yeah. pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking. And and before before moving into the introduction I I want to give a huge shout out to Old Melbourneian Soccer Club where we met and also to uh, our friend uh, Suraj Shetty who asked me to join OM and also suggested me to have you on this podcast so a shout out to Suraj as well. So let's let's move on to to your introduction a bit. Uh, so you you were born and raised in uh, UK, and let me get this correct. It is is it the pronunciation Northamptonshire? Northamptonshire. Yeah, no, yeah, Northamptonshire. Just just uh, just Shea, yeah, go yeah. up a bit. Yeah, the British accent. Yeah, the British the, accent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So yeah, uh, grew up there, and then you. did your bachelor's uh, ba honors in sports studies from bedford uh, demont uni then demontford university yep and uh, yeah after completing a graduation you worked in different roles traveled around a bit in uk in new zealand and in us as well and obviously melbourne and uh, then you came across the role of uh, pe teacher somewhere around in the year 2016 and then you yep. moved on to do your post graduation in secondary physical education in 2018 yep. 2019 from yep. university of hertfordshire hertfordshire yep yeah uk yeah and uh, then yeah you came to melbourne australia in 2019 2020 uh yeah 2019 yeah 2019 and yes uh, you're currently a pe health and psychology teacher at uh, wellington secondary college in mulgrave and yeah uh, correct and uh, as you you do casual soccer coaching for community clubs yeah. yes yeah so and very <laughs> very much to talk about here but i will try to keep it as short as we can and briefly talk about a few aspects of of your uh, sporting career and yeah uh, so in 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 all of this uh, there was this particular event that i want to talk about that uh, somewhere where you moving across jobs uh, in uk uh you did four years of annual camps in us specifically in pennsylvania and new jersey 
uh, where yeah. you, we have spoken about uh, where where you were around thousand plus kids in US of age group ten to twelve, and you were uh, a general counsel or division head, uh, and this role was about for three to six months. Uh, you went there for four years, and uh, yeah, yeah. So you you briefly spoke about that, and uh, I I want you to tell us uh, how how you came across this opportunity, and what was it all about, and how was the environment in US? Uh, what we, what did you do, and what were your learnings over there? Yeah, okay. So um, yeah, the opportunity came. Um, I always wanted to travel. I always wanted to see the world, um, and I was a little bit lost. I was a little bit not sure about what I wanted to do for a career. Uh, and I was advised to go to just to try this summer camp in America. Uh, summer camps in America, are, they're a massive cultural thing. It's a expectation that you send your son or daughter to a summer camp. Um, their summer holidays are, are about three months long. They're quite long. Um, and for, for eight of those, uh, that there's, there's hundreds of, of camps and they're some are specialty, some are religious, some are sports, some are performing arts. Um, some are general, very much like, like mine was. Um, and the kids arrive and they uh, live in bunks together, in, in bunk beds. It's like an eight-week-long sleepover with all, their, all the counsellors who, um, who are from across the world. Uh, they're all there just to try and look after them and give them, uh, give them the best summer they can. Uh, it's all about fun. It's not... It's very different to teaching. It's it's all about fun, enjoyment, smiles, laughter, happiness, and just making sure they're healthy. Um, so I came across the role, uh, well, just looking online through a, a company called uh, Camp Leaders. And what they do is they interview you and then they put you forward to camps. Um, so they're kind of like a recruitment agency for camps. Um, and they, they, they interview you, they look at your credentials, your history, your any coaching awards you've got, any history of working with kids, and they put you forward to camps. Um, initially, I didn't think I was going to get in. I, I received a call uh, three weeks before my first summer at, uh, at uh, New Jersey Y Camps in, uh, in Milford, Pennsylvania. I received a call at about two o'clock in the morning from, uh, from the director called Ann Tursky, and she called and said she'd be, she'd be excited to have me at camp. Uh, and if I'd be interested, and two weeks later, I landed in, in I, was, I was in Times Square in New York. I'd never been, uh, you know, particularly far on a plane by myself. And there's, there's taxi cabs pumping and there's noise and there's, there's skyscrapers. And I thought to myself, what have I done? Um, what have I done? But no, it was great. I managed to uh, get, uh, get myself to, to Penn Station, jump on a, on a bus. Uh, two and a half hours later, uh, I began one of the most extraordinary experiences I've, I've ever had. Yeah, it's um, it's something that I will always push any students I teach to consider. Um, it's just it's such a happy place, and it, it's so much fun, and uh, there's 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 a lot going on. Yeah, we had we had fifty two different activities ranging from high ropes and climbing to soccer, baseball, archery, tennis, to rocketry, science, arts and craft, pottery, woodwork, board games. I mean, I could go through them. Uh, but yeah, we had about 52. We had two large lakes on site and uh, yeah, and, and a, a big swimming pool and 
yeah, it was it was an awful lot of fun, and uh, yeah, I've, I've made some really good friends there, and and um, they helped me travel afterwards. They helped me travel the states afterwards. The American staff were great. Um, they always give you somewhere to stay, and um, yeah, give you opportunities to travel around America as well. So yeah, yeah, anybody who's listening who's who's ever thought about ah oh, maybe I could do a camp camp in America, one hundred percent do it. You will not regret it. That's that's some amazing uh, experiences shared by you over there. So I'll I'll I want to touch on two aspects that you spoke about. So one, uh, you you spoke about mo- moving as in uh, landing in New York, and uh, I'm not sure is Northamptonshire is is it a uh, big city or is it like a small town? It's a it was a I I come from a little village, so it was a tiny little yeah. village. I think there was no more than seven hundred people lived in our village. Um, the average age must have been above 60. Um, the, the best thing about, about Rushton in Northamptonshire where I lived, um, we, my cricket ground where I played, uh, was I could see it from my house. It was it was 100 metres away. And yeah, I've gone from really, really at night, you'd rarely hear a car because <laughs> everyone would be tucked up in bed and there'd, there'd be no noise. And, and then next thing I know, uh, yeah, it was a culture shock. It was it was an interesting experience to to find my way through JFK Airport and then make my way through to Penn Station. And yeah, thank thank goodness somebody met me at, at Milford and they, they drove me the final bit to camp because I might have turned back. Uh, I might have turned back. Yeah, that 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 was the particular thing I wanted to talk about. So you you, you covered it well. So uh, yeah. And also, you you spoke about the cultural aspect as well, the difference over there. So, any any particular uh, thing that you, as an apart from the busy life at in New York and in US, is there any cultural difference that you, that you that is struck with you as like it is very much different in US compared to back in UK? Uh, is that with regards to general life or, or with regards? Yeah, to- anything in general life, having conversation with okay. others, or working with others over there. Yeah, look, the one thing I'd say is that, that there's generally a positive attitude. Uh, a, a lot of Americans, um, from my experience, are very much glass half full as opposed to half empty. Um, culturally wise, um, I, I think there's always been a close link between um, our, our cousins over the, the Atlantic, as they're referred to. And there's always been a strong bond between the US and the UK. Um, but I, I, will fi- I will say that Everybody I came across, and I worked at a, a Jewish summer camp. I'm not Jewish myself, um, but they were unbelievably accepting. They were unbelievably generous. Uh, I, I, that's the one thing I found uh, it, uh, with the people I dealt with is their generosity. Um, they, they'll always go out their way to help you. Um, there's there's one person in particular, and fingers crossed, she, she'll listen to this. Heather Klein. Um, she was one of my directors in my first year, and I looked after her uh, her son Mitchell Mitchell Klein, uh, who who was is a, a fellow ginger, uh, and he was he was eleven years old. Uh, he's he graduated university now, I believe, um, but yeah, he's eleven years old, and uh, we got on really really well. He enjoyed his soccer, um, and for the, the summers after that, they always looked after me. They let me stay at their house, um, and, and they they kind of took me into New York and. You know, she let me borrow her car, which was which was great because on days off um, from camp we could go into New York, 
um, go to you go to Philly, you could go to Washington. So there there are a few options. Um, but yeah, they're, they're generosity. They're, they're incredibly generous. Um, but there's there's also uh, on, on one of my days off, I was I was very tired at camp. They're very long days, and I jumped on a uh, jumped on a, the subway, and I'd, I've obviously drifted off half asleep, and I ended up the the wrong side, and I was I was rolling towards the Bronx, which is not somewhere you want to be uh, around the evening time, being uh, being English. So uh, yeah. I very quickly made my way back uh, back towards. Uh, yeah, back towards the the right side of the the right side of the road, should we say? Um, but yeah, it was um, yeah, all in all, it's it's a uh, it's a great experience. Lots of uh, lots of cultures within uh, within the states. You know, the people towards the south think differently towards New Yorkers who think differently to people from LA. So yeah, there's lots of differences. Lots of differences uh, in yeah across, across quite quite a large country. So yeah. So uh, before moving on on to the next subject, so so you did mention that uh, this uh, camp inspired you in a way to move towards the way of being a PE teacher and get involved yeah. with kids, but uh, it 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 was not a very direct move because as in the last camp that you did was in 2013, and then you moved across a few different roles again. I think you worked in events and marketing in Auckland and Melbourne. and then after a gap of around 3 or 4 years you you got your first role as a pe teacher in 2016 in uk itself so yep. how how was that transition uh, as in as in what was going to your mind at that time and doing the different roles and then coming at the role of pe teachers how how did that happen yeah i, I think it all came I, i looked at opportunities to potentially stay um and work for the camp that was a, a conversation i had with with one of the directors there um but unfortunately nobody particularly moves on from those roles um very frequently it's a, it's a great job um the the staff who are there full time in the you know during the winter time will travel to to recruit from across the world um i i believe that they they covered south africa australia new zealand uh they cover the uk they they went to israel um because they've got their strong links um being a jewish camp and they recruited yeah recruited from across the world and their job was to go out and find the right people for their camps so very few people moved on um and as a result um when i had the conversation with with my one of the directors uh and turski the the director who, who initially employed me she just wrote me a lovely letter um just saying that I should work with children I've got a natural um rapport with kids I find the best for them um I always try and get the you know get the best out of everybody and and really motivate children so um, that that probably inspired me um I'd left university without the the correct qualifications um and at the time um I was uh 32 and I thought my time had passed. Going back to university wasn't financially viable when I was by myself. Uh, so I thought, well, that's that that's a lovely thing that she thinks I should, but in, in, to be realistic, that's not possible. Um, to cut a long story short, uh, it's down to my wife who who gave me the opportunity to go to university. She firstly found me a role within a school just to cover lessons and and, and work as an unqualified teacher. 
Um, and then we we made the choice to to move back to Australia. We we were living in England at the time, and she said you should qualify. You should go and qualify. And she supported me, and um, yeah, and, and and paid our way um, while I became a an unemployed student. Um, I worked at uh, yeah, I, I had a great placement at a great school, an outstanding school called called Ashlands uh, in in Hertfordshire. And yeah, got my qualification, which allowed me to, to teach in Australia. And yeah, and, and I came over. So yeah, it was an interesting journey. I, I had the jobs in between because in between camp and, and when I got to Australia, uh, because again, I, it wasn't possible for me when I was living by myself to pay my way through university um, on a full-time course. It was, it was probably a step too far. So actually credit has got to go. Uh, go to my wife on that one. She helped me out. Yep, you, you always need a partner in your life, and uh, probably that that came through with you and a a good transition for you. She helping yep. you out, and and yep. you, here you are speaking about it, talking to me. So it worked out. Hey, look, it, it, yeah. all the roads all the roads have gone in the right direction. If uh, <laughs> if I'm friends with you, Abby. <laughs> cool. So. Yeah, uh, we also spoke about, uh, so there's, there's two aspects that I want to talk about. Obviously, your role as PE teacher, teaching the kids. And yeah. you you spoke about that as in PE being physical education, but it is not just the physical education part. It also involves the mental aspect, the physiology, sorry, the physiology being safe, the psychology and the social and the nutritional needs. So there are different aspects of being a PE teacher. So can you as in briefly speak about what what is your role and how these different aspects also play a role in in play a major part in your role yeah um the, it's a great question the the role of a pe teacher 30 35 years ago it was all about activity levels sport movement um looking at all the physical um physical elements that, that make you a well-rounded human being. Um, but it's evolved. The subject itself has evolved. Um, it's look, it now looks at quite, quite a, quite a fair bit of theory. Um, I think that's, that's quite a, quite a difference between in Australia. And we'll probably touch on that later on um, in that there's a lot more theory, at a younger age in within Australia. Um, but yeah, we, as well as the practical lessons now, um, where you have to, you have to, you have to have two different styles of teaching. You have to have the practical style, and then you have to have the classroom management. So you need two types of uh, of teaching. One is on an oval, windy, might be rainy. You might have an energetic class. You might need to try and control them and shout and bellow and give instru- give instructions and and plan ahead for. Whatever, whatever it might be, it might be soccer, cricket, AFL. Uh, in England, we did we did rugby. It might be cross country. It might be all these different sports that you need to um, be able to teach. Um, and I, I will say that um, you don't need to be an expert at any sports to be a PE teacher, but you need to be able to have an understanding of so many sports and their rules and their um, you know the, the, the setup of those sports. Um, you need to be able to demonstrate, which is which is always helpful. So, 
you need to be adaptable. So you need to be able to have good hand-eye coordination, hand-foot coordination. Um, so, yeah, that's the practical side of things. The theory side of things is um, at a younger age looking at um, general health. Uh, so looking at things like um, you'll be looking at um, drugs uh, and the effects of drugs and alcohol. Um, and, and just you're, you're never going to teach a way that says, don't ever do it. It's terrible. Uh, but what you're going to, what you're trying to do is inform the children and let them know the side effects. So if this is a decision you make when you're older, this could happen or that could happen. Um, you look at identity. You look at the, you know, you look at what it means to be a, be, be an individual. Um, you look at um, the sex education. So you're making sure that the younger generation are aware of uh, uh, of everything that goes on, which is something that's quite new, um, as in uh, over, the, over the past 30, 35 years, um, the onus has fallen upon the, the health and PE team to, to implement that. Previously, it would just be a science teacher maybe would, would teach that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, you have to have different styles. You have to be adaptable. And you, yeah, you have to be able to teach within a classroom, outside a classroom. Um, but for the most part, I, I've my experience as a PE teacher is that if you win the kids over and you've got a good relationship with them and they enjoy their sport, most of the time they'll be quite good for you in the classroom. Uh, so yeah, pretty much very well covered. And as in, I I try to remember my days back in India now. So I'll, I'll briefly speak about it as well. So. Being yep. the difference, how it is different in, in the Western countries and in, in countries like Australia, UK, US and other countries as well. And in India. So I completed my high school in uh, 2009. And as far as I can recollect, we just had one or two classes of uh, physical education. And it wasn't education at all for us. As in, I was, I was from a state school. So a state uh, education, which is as in it's okay, as in there are there were international schools and other schools, they might have different uh, curriculum at all. But for the state schools running by run by government, the, there's there's only two classes where you just go out and play. No disrespect to the teachers, PE teachers, but they were just just managing it as like just getting the kids on the ground and doing nothing. That's what I remember from that. And hearing about your role uh, in UK and in Australia, teaching different aspects of, of physical education. It's not just playing sports, but understanding the sports and obviously the nutritional needs and people and people over here, the kids over here are very well read as well that they, they are aware of, of their own body, that this is what they need to do. This is how they can make their body better to, if they want to pursue sports uh, after growing up. So this massive difference in in what what we are taught back in india so yeah the, the, that that picks up and uh, it, it gets changed very soon back in india the the, the practical element uh, you have to be well planned you have to have a structure you have to have a warm up you have to you'd have a sequence of lessons let's say the focus was cricket you'd have a sequence of lessons and you'd make sure that you cut you cover batting bowling different elements of fielding, catching, um, ground fielding. You'd make sure you'd deal with you know, defending, attacking, bowl, different types of bowling. So you'd maybe have six, seven, eight, nine lessons and you'd have to try and cover all of them. And you'd also have to deal with 
children who are already playing cricket at a good standard, so to challenge them, and children who have never held a cricket ball before. So it is... Uh, if once you're actually teaching the lesson, it's fine. It's a lot of the planning behind the scenes that is that probably takes up the most time of teaching, because you have to make sure that there's a warm up, there's skills, and then you've got to put those skills into a game situation, and then maybe sneak a game in at the end if you've got some time. So, yeah, practical lessons uh, have to have a um, they call it a success criteria. So you had to go into the lesson being able to say this is what we're trying to achieve. And at the end of the lesson, you kind of feed back and talk to the kids and say, okay, where are we at now? So, and then that lesson has to link to the next lesson. So you have, you can't just randomly go teaching. You have to think about the flow as well. So practical lessons are um, not what a lot of people think they are. They're, they're not, um, uh, PE teachers just teach people to bounce a basketball and they just ref some, some soccer and they, it's it's really not. It's um, a PE teacher is I I believe is the most adaptable um, teacher because at the last minute it might rain. You might it might be forty five degrees outside. There might be a leak in the roof. Uh, there might be a teacher away, so you need to combine a lesson as well as all that planning. So a PE teacher has to think on their feet. Um, and we teach in different environments as well. Um, in England, I, I taught and I've, I've taught some lessons in minus, so minus one, minus two, um, freezing cold, howling wind, and kids just don't want to be there. Um, I've also taught um, in, in the same, uh, at, a, at a different school in England, where we had a, used to have a leak in the roof uh, and during the winter, when it would get to minus five, minus six at night, the water would come through onto the onto the sports hall and would freeze overnight. So we couldn't use the sports hall for the first period until that had thawed out so we could mop the water away because it was like an ice skating rink. So, yeah, you have to be adaptable. You have to change. Things move, uh, are moving all the time when you're a PE teacher. So, uh, yeah, very different to your experience, I think, in India. It's um, very planned, very structured. Very, uh, everything's got a meaning and a reason. Um, whereas, yeah, um, it sounds like summer camp. Just let them play. Let them enjoy <laughs> themselves. So, yeah, yeah. So, just, just to clarify to all the listeners, uh, I'm not criticizing that uh, it is very, it is worst back in India. But uh, there, there might be private camps and uh, uh, private camp setups to teach uh, kids the actual lessons over there. But yep. I want... I want to clarify that it should be made mandatory. It is not mandatory yet in India that uh, being there are physical education classes, but it is not taught very well. And it should be made mandatory where this should be taught in the school itself and give equal importance because not everyone would uh, graduate and become an engineer, doctor, lawyer. There, there might be some who, who want to pursue sports as a uh, career. So there, there, there's some people, there's some people where it's it's a release, and I think I think enjoyment and playing and moving and running around with your friends, I think it's so important. I think it's so important for the mental health of students. I think it's so important for the physical health of students, uh, the social health of students. I mean, there's the the spiritual health. There's there's there's, there's, there's five dimensions of health, and and I think it's really really physical education is so important. Uh, I mean, at, at this point in time in Australia. Uh, our current year 12s are, are just looking towards their exams, their most important exams. Um, and I think certain parts of the curriculum over here should have given them some free time, 
during their exams just to go and play. A member of the PE staff should open up the sports hall, open up the oval, open up the tennis courts and just put some equipment out and let them play. It's a stress release. Um, will it help them pass their exams from revising? No, it won't. Will it help them pass their exams from a stress release and just having that moment away to stop thinking about algebra, to think, stop thinking about physics, biology, business? Yeah, it will. Um, it's really, really important. And, and unfortunately, I feel like PE and sport is the first thing sacrificed uh, because they that's what they'll lose. The, you know, because they're, oh, well, it's not going to help them. So we'll take that away and they can use that time to revise. Worst thing you could do. Worst thing you could do. So actually, <laughs> within the schools in India, just playing is great. It's really important. But what they probably need to do is have that and some something that's a little bit more structured to teach people some sports, you know, um, teach some sports from across the world. Like I, I love teaching new sports to, to kids. I think it's a great experience and it broadens people's horizons because you never know if someone is good at a sport, they've never been exposed to it. You might, Abby, you might've been a superstar gymnast. Had you had, had you had the right exposure? We'll never know. We'll never know. It's one of these great unanswered questions. As in, if you speak to every kid uh, back in India and my friends, they're, they're like, they had inclination towards sports and everyone would have that same excuse that given an opportunity, I would have done that. I, I'm yeah. not saying that everyone would have made it to a professional level, but they had this uh, regret in their mind that given the opportunity, the opportunity was not there. So, yeah. Uh, I agree. Our, our joint friend, Siraj. Had he been given the opportunity to uh, be a soccer goalkeeper earlier, goodness knows he he might have actually ended up being a good keeper. You know, we'll, we'll never know. Three, three penalty saves this season, so yeah, never yeah, we, we, which he definitely lets us know about, doesn't he? <laughs> Best keeper in the league. Yeah. Uh, so there's this one more thing uh, that I want to talk uh, just briefly. Tell tell us uh, what would be one challenge you see working with kids. You have already spoken about that you had that uh, natural instinct and people recommended you, uh, the directors recommended you that you keep working with kids. Yep. But what would be that one challenge working with kids compared to the older kids, like 12 kids? Yeah. And uh, yeah. And what was the challenge when you first started? And uh, is, it, is, it this, is, it, is it still a challenge for you right now or you have overcome that? Yeah, so you have to manage different age groups differently. Um, I believe the key to teaching is relationships. So if you've got a good relationship with the kids um, and they respect you, you don't have any issues with behaviour because students don't want to upset a teacher they get on with. The last thing they want to do is think that a teacher doesn't like or respect them if they're liked. So um, you have to give a lot more structure and boundaries and tighter boundaries to a year seven, um, so a year eleven or a, sorry, eleven year old or twelve year old. You have to give them tighter boundaries, and you have to be really black and white with your instructions. This you do this, then this, then we move on to this, and we do this. And it's you can't give them an inch at that point because if you give a eleven year old an inch within a class, they'll take a mile, and before you know it, you've lost control. So I would say first impressions. Set your expectations out. Um, students like boundaries. Students like to know where they stand. Um, so that's probably the, that's what helped me overcome it. My first year seven lesson um, when I when I started teaching was 
absolute pandemonium, absolute craziness. I've got these energetic kids and they, they are full of energy and excitement and they will try everything. But they need the control. They need the boundaries. They need to know your expectations, your behavior expectations. Um, and then when you compare that to a year 10, a year 11, a year 12, uh, 11s and 12s don't do a great deal of practical. So I'm going to use the example of a year 10 um, who um, I think while you've got, got to that point, you've got the relationship with the kid. So you can have with the students, you can give them that, that little bit more leeway, I, I believe, providing they know that if, if they cross over that boundary, the implications are quite substantial. Um, but it's motivation. That's probably the greatest difference is a year seven will go at 110 miles an hour for the whole class. And you need to harness and direct that. Whereas you get to year 10, and this is a, a generalization because you have got year 10s who are talented sportsmen, who are driven, who take themselves to the gym on runs. They look after their own bodies because they're playing sport outside of school. And then you've got the nice enough kids, uh, particularly where I work, where the hardest thing for them to do is if you turn the back on, you turn your back on them, they sit down and they're not rude. They're not disruptive. They don't swear. They just sit down. So it's motivation and keeping them going and keeping them moving is probably the greatest difference. Um, but, and how did I, how, how do I overcome that problem? I try and make, get, add some diversity to the lesson, teach them something different. Let's play a different game. Let's, you know, give them a bit of control as well. Okay, guys, these are your options. Let's, which one would you like to do? Where, what are we going to do? So we're going to play this sport, but how are we going to play it? Do you want to play a tournament? You know, if you give them the example of basketball, or do, you want, do you want to play a one-on-one? Do you want to do some skills and drills? Like, and once they take ownership of it, they become a bit more motivated because it's theirs. They, they've taken ownership. Couldn't do that to a year seven class because you're giving them too many options and it would all go absolutely out the window. So, yeah, yeah that's that, that's probably the, the, the greatest challenge, I think, is um, some teachers will find behaviour an issue, but those are probably the teachers who... Um, who don't have a great deal of relationships with certain individuals. Don't get me wrong. I've got certain kids who just don't see eye to eye with me. And you're always going to get that, particularly in large schools. There's going to be kids who just are not on your wavelength. And that's fine to accept that. As a teacher, it's fine to understand that. But it's making sure that those kids are still within your boundaries and they're still working as you're asking them to work. Um, so, yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's definitely behaviour and expectations at the younger age groups and giving them those that direction. Um, and some love it. Some maybe don't have that at home. They don't have that support and that, you know, that network and being told no. So some quite enjoy that direction, the direction and the routine of school. And I think that's where, where coronavirus, unfortunately, uh, has knocked a lot of a lot of younger kids um, off their routines, and they're struggling a little bit with it. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's probably that's probably where I'm at. I think uh, yeah, day to day, I'm not going to refer back to the coronavirus because I believe it is it, yeah, it's taken over two years of, of everyone's lives, yeah. and I don't think it's right to refer to that as the normal life because I I don't think that's where we're going to be in a year's time, and it's not where where I've been for. 35 out of my 37 years on this planet. So let's talk about the good 35 instead of the restricted two. Great observation about uh, you, you have to be 
you have to be uh, teaching differently to the year seven compared to year twelve. And as far as yeah. I also try to recollect, uh, being being from a very conservative family, my my parents were like very strict when when I was in high school till year ten, year ten and twelve. So that's that's the uh, stage where where you have to be like you have to be very specific and not give any options. And yeah, as you grow and then you can have a little bit of leeway. So very well said yep. on that, Tom. And quickly, I'll 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 jump on this as well. Uh, you spoke about COVID situation. Uh, so how how it is like how it has changed for you in the two years? What, what has been your role now? Uh, and how have you managed to do it online? Uh, I assume yep. uh, to maintain that sta- same relationship, same uh, uh, connection with the kids uh, during this two years. Um, without doubt, some of the hardest, um, hardest two years to try and teach, um, to not have that connection with kids, um, to not have that face-to-face learning, which is key because you, as a teacher, you can feed off the responses of the kids. You can tell if they're understanding something as you're teaching it to them by their responses. Are their heads up? Are they nodding? Um, are their eyes open? You know, are, are they talking to their friends? Or are they completely disengaged? Now it's really hard to do that online, uh, particularly from a, from a from a practical point of view. For our theory work, you can set the work, you can talk through the work. You have to adapt it. Uh, unfortunately, it's it's a lot of reading, note taking, um, worksheets. Um, it's quite hard to do group discussions and you know debates and, and get some ideas flowing and. I think a really good teacher has has the ability to simply throw a spark into a classroom and, and they get the kids working and talking. Uh, can't do that online. So every teacher um, deserves a medal because they've had to adapt and change how they teach uh, within, within PE. Uh, and it, I think, unfortunately, a lot of kids have fallen behind uh, as a result of... Maybe not a, a good working environment at home. Might be looking after siblings. It might be a noisy environment. There might be other people trying to get on the internet, which slows their connection down. And um, there might be lots of options. Don't get me wrong. There are the ones who, not, without doubt, are sitting on YouTube, playing on the PlayStation's Xboxes, and are not really approaching the work as they should. But I feel sorry for the ones that haven't got that right environment, that right support. And I know there's an awful lot of people working really hard to try and rectify that. Um, but the, the best place for, for teachers and students to be is in school without a shadow of a doubt. That's the, the, the best environment. That's, that, as I said earlier uh, in our chat, it's, um, it's routine. And routine is really, really important. You know, you get to school at 8.15 and you go into class at 8.35 and this, this routine is so, so important for so many of our students. Yeah, it's very challenging for, as in, for the kids as well and for the teacher who is not maybe uh, very well versed with the technology as well. And on next day, you have to get up and uh, get around, get your head around the technology so that you can have a smooth uh, uh, communication with the kids. So it's quite challenging uh, as in we can't do anything now is like we have to accept it, adapt to it. And hopefully it still, it gets better from here. Uh, we've, we had tough two years, but yeah, hoping that it gets better from here and, Fingers crossed for everybody. 
Like every, everybody has, has faced their challenges. Every single person has been locked down from friends and family or have not been able to do what they want to do. And everybody, every single person in the world has had a challenge from the coronavirus without a shadow of a doubt. Um, is it harder for some than others? Yeah, potentially. Uh, there's probably some that, you know, I, I, I'm going to use myself as a bit of an example. Um, I've got Liam, my, my son, who's, who's seven months old. Uh, he's not seen my mum and dad yet in England um, because, unfortunately, international travel is uh, is closed for the time being, and, and I hope it opens up sometime very soon. I know we've got technology, um, but uh, I know my, my parents in particular are very, very keen to see Liam. So, uh, yeah, the, it's been a challenging time, Abby, and, and from from our from our experiences at Old Melburnians, um, we worked incredibly hard in January through pre-season, incredibly hard in February. We've trained so hard twice a week and we've made massive strides and we were top of the league and the season just, somebody pulled the pin on the season and you think, oh. and then after a few weeks, I've looked myself in the mirror and gone, we'll go again, we'll go again and we'll, we'll win it properly next time. Uh, pretty interesting topic till, uh, so far. So, want to move towards the interesting part of this conversation, a, a bit casual one. And uh, as in the, for the conversation that you have set your frame for. So for, for all the listeners who will be listening uh, to this audio podcast, uh, just explain, explain what you have on your frame right now. What are you wearing and what, what do you have? Well, I'm currently wearing the, uh, the England one day shirt that we won the 2019 uh, one day um, world cup at, uh, Lords, the the famous final uh, where uh, where uh, unfortunately New Zealand feels slightly aggrieved, but all I can say is our names on the trophy. Um, everyone knew the rules before the uh, first ball of the tournament was bowled, and we we won it by those rules. Um, so I've got a little replica of the uh, of the World Cup, I've got a little trophy here, uh, and I've also got my uh, I've, I've got a my first ever ball that I took a took a five with, and it was. Uh, it was for Rushton in Northamptonshire. Uh, it was against a team called Central near Peterborough. Uh, and I took five for, I think it was five to about 30. Um, bowling, uh, bowling some off spin. And yeah, I, I'm definitely going to send this uh, send this over to a few of my old teammates. And they'll hopefully remember it because I, I, I turned it absolutely square. And I know that a lot of your listeners back in India might find that hard to believe <laughs> that the ball actually... The ball actually turned in England, but it does. There's about two and a half weeks a summer yeah. where it's actually dry and it's yeah. not green and it turns. So yeah, hence why we haven't got any good spinners because why would your ball spin in England? Every every pitch seems everybody wants yeah. to be Jimmy Anderson. Yeah, <laughs> and and it, it, it you get good amount of swing even with with very medium pace bowling. You don't have to be extra extra fast for for getting that swing that purchase from UK pitches. Oh, if you get the seam in the right position, yeah, it's hard to it's hard to bat. It's hard to yeah. bat, and yeah, and I, I that's why I believe the best players in the world are the ones that score in all the environments. You've got the turning pitches in India, Pakistan, in um, you know Dubai, uh, out to, in the UAE. You've got the hard pitches of South Africa and Australia and the West Indies, where they just try and take your head off with the bounce. And then you've got your pitches like in New Zealand and England where, you've, you, you know, if you've got your skilled bowlers and it's moving, um, 
Okay, I'm, I'm probably going to upset a few Australians here, but this is why David Warner is not world class. Because in Australia, he scores runs for fun. In England, uh, I, 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 I'm not sure how many he scored in the last Ashes, but I know he lived in the back in uh, Stuart Broad's back pocket for most of the summer because he can't play. He can't play a moving ball. Steve Smith and Labuschagne, on the other hand, world class because they score runs all over the world. Quickly go back a little bit uh, before going on to Ashes. So, cricket being a sport which was invented by England and starting the World Cups from 1975, and then as in several World Cups gone, then the T20 format got introduced and winning the third, it, it was it the third, yeah, third uh, T20 World Cup in 2010. Yeah. So, after so many years of World Cup, winning that World Cup in 2010, what, what does it mean for, for England and for the British fans? Uh, I think... It was a real, real question mark. I know that T20 cricket hit English, English shores. And there's a lot of traditionalists in England who believe that test match is the pinnacle. Uh, and I'm one of those. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those. Um, and it started to bring out the specialists. So previously, in one day in, one day in shorter format cricket, it was a better, you know, test match players and maybe one or two specialists whereas T20 you started to see the emergence of specialist one day players specialist people who can hit through the line of the ball and actually what you've started to find as a result of that and as we've moved down the line is these one day players are actually their form is so hot in one day cricket that it's helping them get picked for test match whereas previously the better test match players were playing in the ODIs. So T20 cricket started that change um, to, I don't think it changed the focus necessarily because England had some success in the ashes um, for, you know, for, for a few years, but I think it's, it probably turned the corner in the focus of English cricket, the excitement, the noise, the music, the fireworks, the money was all in one day cricket and T20. T20. So yeah, I th- I th- it was great. Look, the, winning winning that World Cup was was great. I don't think we had the best side in the World Cup, if I'm being yeah. honest. We we won it with some very average cricketers. You know, Broad wasn't a specialist one day player. Um, we had side bottom. You know, this guy with his long frizzy hair who just bowled these left armers. Yeah. Uh, you know, you had a lot of all rounders. Uh, you know, we had Flintoff, we had Luke Wright, we had um, uh, Paul Collingwood. But we had players like O.A. Shah playing. And, and, and these players who, who you think in this day and age, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't survive in one-day cricket. So great to win. Like, what, what a great tournament. What a great start for you know, the birth of English short-form cricket. Yeah. Um, and people started to notice. And people started to notice T20 cricket and started to think, hold on. We're onto something here. We've got some players who are capable. So, yeah, it was good. It's turned the corner. Um, and now we've got the issues. We've got the little problems going on. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we, we've, we've balanced. But um, not Gary Bounce. He's awful. He's awful. <laughs> no, I'm not talking about Gary Bounce. No, we're about the balance between test match and one-day focus. So. Yeah. We, uh, we, we'll speak about the issues as well uh, later on. Uh, 
just want to uh, as you said that uh, the the team was not very as in there were no memorable innings that i can remember from 2010 it's, it it was much like uh, what we did in, uh, what india did in 2007 the first ever t20 when when it was introduced and india went out of the group stages in 50 over world cup and then winning that so it was something like that for england as well in 2010 because there was no big names at that time uh, there were a few but not not a good squad maybe to remember that victory uh, and compared to the 2016 uh, squad as well which which went to the finals and lost it in the last over so yeah good yeah even i i don't remember any any moments from that so moving from t20 to 50 over world cup 2015 world cup in australia and england get gets beaten by bangladesh and i think by ireland as well and winning winning against the favorites like south africa and uh, i think australia as well i'm not sure yeah. but then not not qualifying uh, into the later stages in 2015 world cup and a shift uh, and the shift that you can see from that point itself the captaincy of ian morgan and uh, winning that world cup in 2019 how how do you see that the the transition from 2015 to 2019 yeah you're right i, I don't think ian can win the 2019 world cup without the failure of 2015 uh i think we were just coasting along as another one day side with a few good players uh, and then you move on to you know you, you look at the special the, the split captaincy okay so you've got jo jo root Joe, there, there's Test match cricket. That's you, or or before that, you know, obviously we had um, Alistair Cook. Alistair. Yeah, we had Alistair Cook, who again, he's he's never going to play one day cricket, um, but probably could at the moment. He's he's scoring runs in England, but um, <laughs> but no, you, you've got and then you've got Owen Morgan and, and, and the focus there. You haven't got two separate squads, but you've got quite a difference now. You've got specialist players who are more focused. Now you've got adaptable players, Ben Stokes, Josh Butler. You've got these players who can play in, you know, Jofra Archer, um, can play in all these formats. But um, I, I think what that that focus did, I, I think Adil Rashid could have been an incredibly good Test match bowler. He turned to, he turned his back, not turned his back on on Test match cricket, but said my focus is one day cricket here. Um, the, the same for many players who who have have said that. On the same hand. If you look on the other side, Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson have both made themselves unavailable and have, have for many years have had a Test match focus. So, I think 2015 started to div- divide English cricket. It started to move towards one side was ODI focused and the other side was Test match focus. And as a result, on tours, I think there's been probably a reduction in the Test match tours um, or the amount of Tests that are played on tours. To make sure there is some T twenty and some one day, so they're touring for longer, um, and you've got players who are flying in and flying out for different formats. I think if you go prior to 2015, you, you've got a lot of the same players. You've got a, 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 a lot more. They're still the specialists. Don't get me wrong. There has been for a while, but there's a lot more specialists. Um, I, I think you could play two sides. I think there's there's scope to pick a. They wouldn't be very good, but to pick a specialist test side and a completely different ODI side, and I think the ODI side would would be a stronger stronger eleven. But I think you could split it now. 
I think prior to 2015 and us losing, I don't think they, they, they bother so much. So I think we won 2019 because of the failure of 2015. Yeah, obviously the 2015 failure helped a lot. And obviously they, it, the, the, the risk that they take, the risk cricket that they are playing, and it, it is like on nine occasions out of 10, they'll, they'll succeed. They have that uh, vision that they'll, they'll fail one, one, one out of 10 times. And it has happened. It is not like that. It has not happened. They, they have had the success of scoring the highest ODI score against Australia of 485, close to 500, and consistently chasing 300 plus scores, 350, setting up consistently the score of 350s. But then if, if I try to recollect, just after the 2019 World Cup, they played a series against uh, or one match against Scotland and they couldn't defend 360. Scotland Correct. went on to chase that 360 game. So there, there will be some such uh, games, but they, they are very clear with it that we'll, we'll play this cricket, brand of cricket, no matter what the situation, and we'll, we'll succeed yeah. 9 out of 10 times. And that has been the case. And, yeah. and they have been successful in the crunch matches, like in the knockouts. They were able to do that. I, I remember in 2019 as well, they, they lost a few matches at the start of, start of the tournament and they were in a spot of, uh, spot of bother where they had to win three games in the last three games and it was against Australia, India and uh, one more strong team who were, who were at the top. So winning that three games and going into knockouts and winning the World Cup was obviously special. Yeah, I think it was, it was South Africa at the Oval. Um, and, and I remember in particular um, Ben Stokes took an, an incredible catch over he actually came in too far and then took an incredible catch and that turned it because uh, like, you, like you just said you're absolutely right Owen Morgan backs his players to play the style of cricket that is aggressive um, they, they open the batting aggressively Bairstow and Roy have licence to go and play shots then you've got Joe Root who plays a really interesting role in one day cricket He's the anchor. He's the uh, run a ball, bat the innings. Don't worry about clearing the boundary because down the other end, you'll have Ben Stokes, Josh Butler. You'll have Owen Morgan. You'll you have Bairstow. You'll have Roy. You'll ha you have one of these players who can take a game away. Um, I, I, I think how Alex Hales has been, has been managed has been unfortunate. I think England have really missed an opportunity with a, with a good player with a bit of baggage. Um, I think he, he could he could be something very special. Um, but but again, it's not the first time English cricket have you know cut ties with with a talent. Um, I, I, I'm in the Kevin Peterson camp where he could have been England's greatest. Uh, he would have been there or thereabouts. He's spoken of as, as one of the greats. He He's one of the few players, uh, I've listened to a Shane Warne interview, and he's one of the few players the Australian players feared. They feared him because they knew he could win a game and he could score 360 all around the park and in a session could win a game. Um, and I think it's the same in ODI cricket with Alex Hales. I think he can get, if he goes for 10 overs, the way he strikes a ball. But again, England have let him go. So... That they play a, a very specific brand of cricket, but they require a certain mentality, not mentality, they re require a certain um, conformity to, to follow the party line. So, uh, yeah, hence why why Peterson, unfortunately, was was let go. 
and, and Alex Hales, obviously, with, with his issues, um, is has also um, yeah failed to regain his place, which is a shame because I, I think I don't think he'll ever play for England again. But yeah, he he could be the difference in the T Twenty World Cup. You've got Alex Hales coming in at three. You've got some serious hitting there. You've you, you've you've got whoever opens it might be but, uh, Butler, Roy, Bairstow. and then you've got Hales, Morgan. I know Stokes isn't going to play uh, due to his his issues, but you've got some some serious batsmen there. Um, Moen Ali gets going; he can take a game away. So that's that's why England don't don't fret because they know Chris Wokes. Yeah, you know, you're back deep, and they know that. You know, they don't take a lot of responsibility. They go, I'll, I'll just score runs. I don't worry about rotating strike. I don't worry about too much. I'm, I'm just going to score runs. And they do. Because if if Morgan fails and Bairstow fails and Roy fails, well, Butler doesn't and Stokes doesn't. So there's only so many. They know that, like you say, against Scotland after, um, after 2019, it's very rare that the whole batting line fails. Very rare. So again, I think it's a great mentality. I think it's a similar mentality to the India side. What how how Virat Kohli's got his team playing? That they they play to their strengths, uh, and and he backs them all the way. Backs them all the way. Play to your strengths. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think it's it's interesting. It's been an interesting move in 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 cricket across the world. How they they back the they back their teams now to go play your shots. This is a good point uh, that you brought it up. Uh, I, I wasn't planning to talk about it. But this this controversies of uh, Alex Hales. And I, as as I see uh, as a spectator, I might not have the clear view of it. You might have it. Uh, I, I try to remember Alex Hales had this. I, I think he had a fight uh, with, with someone. or Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he was in an altercation with him and, and Ben Stokes were in an altercation in Bristol. Yeah. 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 So, or I'm not sure if that's the case. He's he's been dropped because then Ben Stokes is still playing, and yeah. then you had the recent controversy of Ollie Robinson, where his old tweets came, uh, some racist tweets came across, and he, they had a trial and something. So I I'm not sure why why it is like there's there's a difference between between the judgment. It's like Alex yeah. Hales has been neglected totally. Yeah. He's not got the World Cup 2019 in the squad and he, he, as you said, he might not ever play again for England. But then you have your Ben Stokes who also had a similar case. He's, he's still yep. playing. Ollie Robinson, he has been cleared. Is like, is there a difference that you can see? Is like Alex Hales not needed because he's top of the order. We have Roy Butler, Bestow, who's yeah. there. Ben Stokes, who is very important or Ollie Robinson, who is like the next in team for test matches where, when Anderson and Broad retires. Is is that what you think as well? Yeah, look, I think that's that's probably a that's probably a fair statement um, to say that is it because England if England didn't have that wealth of batting at the top of the order, would they approach the Hales issue? I, I think so. If they haven't got that depth, um, but I think the the issue it's a trust issue with Hales because Hales um, after the Stokes incident um, was also caught with recreational drugs in his system. Yep. So he failed a drugs test. And I think England said, well, once bitten, twice shy. So you've made a mistake and you've not really learned from it. Whereas Ollie Robinson, you know, it, 
in his, in his youth uh, has obviously made made some silly comments, um, which came back to haunt him. Uh, rightly so. Uh, he 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 served his time. He he put his hand up, and he's gone again. Now, if Ollie Robertson makes a mistake, and if he gets into a fight, or if he's caught with drugs in his system, I think he probably he probably his head is probably on the block. Um, and I, I think with Stokes as well, you know, Stokes served his time um, and, and came back. Um, do I think that's the same across the world? I'm going to take case and point of, of my friend, Mr. Warner. Um, you know, Sandpaper Gate has punched Joe Root in a bar. Is uh, Unfortunately, I think he's a, he's a poor ambassador for, for Australian cricket. Um, but then again, Steve Smith, on the other hand, serves his time, gone back into cricket and has done well and has done the right thing. So I, th- I think it's the, it's the second chance saloon that's caught Alex Hales out. I think he had his chance to earn the trust of Owen Morgan and failed uh, when he failed his drug test. And I, I think this this has come uh, out as well, the news that uh, Ian Morgan doesn't trust him anymore. And that's that's the reason he's not there in the squad. Yep. yep. So m- moving from this uh, to another controversy which happened recently, talking about the test cricket between India and England, yeah, and and the cancellation of fifth test match. Supposedly, the the mentioned reason is being the mental side of the COVID, and uh, it's not been taken very well. All the whole situation. Uh, what 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 are your takes? Or what are your thoughts on 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 the cancellation? Um, I I think first and foremost, I think every cricketer who has travelled around the world in the last two years to bring spectators and fans cricket have sacrificed a lot. Time with family, time outside of bubbles. So I think, I know Australia toured here. England have, you know, have toured India. India have come here. Pakistan have toured. West Indies have come over. Um, so you've got the fifth test that was cancelled. You've also got the Pakistan series that has been cancelled, that tour. Um Cited as security issues, but I think also there's an element of, of the, the biosecure bubble. The fifth test, the fifth test in it is, is an interesting one. I think did some of the India players have a have an eye on the on the IPL and their big contracts and their money? Absolutely. But wouldn't you? Wouldn't it, you know, if you've got you know a, a test match and you've been stressed, you've had no release. Um, going back to teaching, you know, you've got it's like being in exams. You've got constant pressure without the the PE to go and play and go and you know go and do your thing. So they've not had that release from the from the biosecure bubble. They have got one eye on the IPL. They are, uh, and that's obviously very important. It's massive in India, and it's absolutely revolutionised um, how players can earn money. You know, it's brought millions of dollars into cricket. So if you said to me, do you want to play a fifth test match or, you know, let's have a meeting as a, as a player and say, let's, let's leave this where it is. Um, you know, we, we've, we've given four test matches to this biosecure bubble. I, I need some time away. I need three or four weeks before the IPL. I need to go home, see my friends, my family. I need to, to have this release. 
I think it's really unfortunate on the series. I think it was a very hard, you know, hard-fought series. I think India were going to win at Old Trafford. I think Ravi Ashwin plays, and I don't think England have an answer to him. Um, you play Jadeja, you play Ashwin, you've got Bumrah. I mean, you have a, a, an unbelievable attacking lineup, and I don't. I think England were on the ropes. I think as a boxer, they were leaning against the ropes, and they were one punch away from from getting beaten. It's done England a favour. The people I feel sorry for is Lancashire County Cricket Club, who who missed out on a, on a lot of money, and and the fans as well. I think the timing of cancelling it two two hours before play starts, I think that wasn't very well managed. I think if you're going to call it, you, you call it a day before, um, because people are paying for hotels for travel, um, and it's not cheap in England to go and watch Test match cricket. So, do I do I condone it? I, I condone the timing. I condone when it when it happened, but I can also understand you know the the focus and 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 the stress that that everybody's been under. So yeah. So the the, the two topics, and I'll also like to contribute on my view on this. So there are two topics that people are criticizing, as in people, as in the fans like us, is like uh, if if Indian players are uh, prioritizing IPL. so they are, they are going back to england who are like they had a gap and they didn't want to move this test match before because they want to have the 100 finals so that's a point and a counter point okay yeah. fair and square they, they had both uh, priorities both the boards had their own priorities then secondly uh, i would like to point is the reasoning which was given i'm um, if if you want to go and play ipl fair enough go and play but the reasoning that that the players came with that they were scared that they would contract covid and they had their families traveling with them and they were scared for their families it was like fair enough okay but given that you you are traveling the next day with your own family again uh, to ipl so what's the difference of playing and not not playing it's like yeah. why are you not scared of contracting the covid because you had been in contact with that person the physio who Who got COVID just one day yep. before? So why are you not scared now when you're traveling to Dubai to play the IPL and you're not scared for your family? I mean, this is the I, only I, flaw that I see. Is like yeah, I I think it was an opening. It was an opportunity that they saw with with the uh, with the physio. But if they were going to contract it, they would have had it already. Yeah, they 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 would have had it already. So I I think the, the issue. That that has arisen is as a result of how they managed it. Um, if they come out, if they come out, you know, the, if the physio comes out, and, but it's all too late for it. It all seems like a bit of a smokescreen. Um, but yeah, there's talk of them them replaying the test. I don't. I don't really see the point. I don't see what it achieves. Flying the Indian squad over to play the final test at Old Trafford. All it does is it, it brings some money in for for Lancashire County cricket, um, but look somewhere down the line, you know, the, Lancashire will get a Test match back, and and it all will be kind of level again. But like you say, I completely agree with you. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly have your view on on the recently conducted the hundred competition by the English board. What 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 are your views on the new format and introduction of new format? Um, I think the ECB 
chief executive has got a massive pat on his back. The uh, the accounts look a lot healthier. It's made a lot of money. Um, I'm a traditionalist, and I genuinely think the ECB have have kind of let Test match cricket fall to the side. They've not allowed enough county county cricket to take place where players, young players, are learning to play the longer format of the game. I think when they are playing, the games are over incredibly quickly in three days. Like, uh, county cricket should go on for four at least. People should learn to bat time. And we're, as a result, we're going to travel to Australia. If, if and when England travel to Australia, if that's a decision they make, with, with such a weak side. And it's a weak side because we've we've not played enough county cricket. There's no opportunity for people to knock on the door. It's do I think our current test match side is is awful? Um are they all out of form? I don't think so. I just don't think they're quite up to it yet. I don't think we've got that level of player. We've got a few. We've got a few superstars, Root, Stokes, Archer, um, Anderson and Broad in England. Is Anderson as effective in Australia? No, he's not. Um, but yeah, going to the going back to the hundred, it's great for kids. It's 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 exciting, but surely you just slightly rebrand T Twenty cricket. I mean, what was what's the issue with instead of having all the counties, just combine them in an Australian style competition? You've got your two Melbourne sides. You've got your two Sydney sides. You know, you, you've got your, your your teams in Brisbane, in in Perth, in Adelaide. Why can't we do that with T Twenty cricket? Why why we why have we got a fourth format that we're trying to wedge into an English summer? And I will I will give you my um my experience in English cricket. You get a lot of games called off. It rains a lot in the English summer. Um, everything you see, all the the stereotypical, oh, it rains, it's cold. It's true. So. You're going to lose so much cricket, so you need more more time to be able to play the longer format. If you're going to improve Test match cricket, you have to play longer format of cricket. You can't introduce a competition where the players are walking around in what looks like pajamas, and people aren't really sure how to play it. Rebrand, I, I think the way the, the way of fixing it, if you want to bring more money into the game and you want more excitement for the for the younger generation to bring players in. Uh, is to rebrand test uh, rebrand T um, Twenty uh, and, and give Test match cricket needs a little bit of love and attention at the moment in England because um, I think we've spoken previously, Abby, and unfortunately, I think England have fallen from the top top tier of it of Test match cricket. India are there, Australia are there, New Zealand are there, and I think we're in the next level down with South Africa, with the West Indies. With Pakistan, we're, we're in that next level. Unfortunately, we've dropped down. It's not unachievable for us to get back in there, but it's going to be a long road. And definitely, as England have that players, as in that there are few aspects, as in like recently, Mohin Ali didn't play in India in the Test matches, and there are some decisions which are like they are trying to manage a, a player, uh, uh, manage the players, and there there are few decisions. I think one prominent aspect is like they have their players because the series with Pakistan, the ODI series, they contacted COVID and they fielded altogether different eleven the next yep. day and they won the series. 
So they do have their players in ODI setup. It's just getting yeah. them up to the test match setup and Absolutely. picking the right players. Yeah, you, you can't use the shorter format of the game to find test match cricketers. Every once in a while, you'll find a gem. But if we look at recent trials and tribulations, Jason Roy played t- t- uh, test match cricket. Unfortunately, wasn't quite there. Bowlers, I think it's slightly different. Um, bowlers, it's more workload. It's the same skill set as workload. I think we're looking towards towards batting here. Um, Owen Morgan had a really short test match um, career. Uh, th- there's so many of them where they've come from from one day cricket to, to to try and play test match. It doesn't work, in my opinion. You you can't you can't try and turn an aggressive player to bat out a day. You know, when you need somebody to to grind. And Alistair Cook, you know, go and bat a day. Go and see it on, on a good pitch. Um, England uh, at Lords capitulated. It was it was it wasn't good to watch. And the last the last test as well. It was an absolute road. The pitch was an absolute road. There was there was there was no excuse. Um Bumrah wasn't hooping it around corners. He found a little bit of reverse swing. And the, the, he's world-class. But he wasn't a huge threat. Jadeja wasn't turning it square. There was no reason why England couldn't bat on, on that pitch. Um, so I think it's down to players playing the longer format of the game. And there's not enough of them. There's a sprinkling. Uh, Sam Hain is somebody I'd like to see in, in the Test match um, set up. There's talk of Liam Livingston. Um, but again, he's gone down the path of T20 cricket and he's brutal. He's, he will play in the T20 World Cup and I think the world's going to see you know, what a good player he is. There's, there's elements of Kevin Peterson about the way he plays, about how he strikes the ball. And he bowls both. He bowls, he, he's got the yeah. ability and he, he either bowls an over of, of leg spin or an over and off spin. Um, and just has has a bit of control, but I just think if you look at the age of the players that are coming into Test match cricket, Joe Denley came in. Well, Joe Denley wasn't the future, but he was the he was the best option they had. You look at one day cricket; you're not bringing somebody in who's touching thirty to one day cricket. No chance because you've got such a depth already because of the amount of short short format cricket that's being played. So it's really hard to watch as an England fan. Um, I'm going to put my head on the block here and say the only thing that will stop an Australia 5-0 will be the weather um, I, I, I can't can't see that England lineup taking on Cummins Hazelwood Stark Patterson if he plays um, and, and they've got Nathan Lyon England don't have they don't have enough pace with Archer and Stokes both missing that Mark Wood won't play five tests. And then they've got a lot of players who will bowl 80, 80 to 85 miles an hour just outside off stump. You can't do that in Australia where it's not swinging. Yep. Broad, Robinson, Anderson, Wokes. Wokes. In, England, in England, phenomenal. That bowling attack in England where the ball moves is one of the best in the world. In Australia... No, in, in in India, well, our spinners are <laughs> Dom Dom Bess. He, yeah. I think he bowled a he bowled either a, a long hop 
Uh, he either dragged it down or bowled a full bunger. He bowled one and over. I mean, thanks. We'll, we'll score at four and over and we'll just take this guy on. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, unfortunately, it needs to happen at the top. It's not an Owen Morgan, a Joe Root. It's probably not even a Silverwood issue. It's above that. It's the focus of, of English cricket. And I think they need to look at Australia and go, okay, let's do what we can down there. And then let's reassess and, and focus for when Australia touring the next. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Boxing Day test match and spending the, uh, watching the match with you. But I, I'm, I'm listening to you right now. I'm pretty much sure you're very much prepared to see the worst of English cricket on that match. So it won't, it yeah. won't be that joyful to see, see you uh, no, watching the because match. Because <laughs> you're, you're not going to see all hope drain from my face because I'm going to go there with <laughs> minimal hope. Um, I'm going to watch good cricket. I'm going to watch some world-class cricketers. Unfortunately, a large majority of them will be wearing a baggy green and, for, uh, and, and not, not, any, not the three lines. Um, I think Joe Root's going to be great to watch. I think if Mark Wood can fire up and, uh, and bowl quick, um, and the curator at Melbourne, hopefully he doesn't produce a slow, low one uh, as, as he's got a reputation to do. We want a bit of life in it. But no, I, I agree. I'll be very much looking forward to, uh, to watching that. I know there'll be a lot, of, a lot of our friends, Siraj being one of them, who will enjoy winding me up, but I'm not going <laughs> to nibble because I'm a realist and I understand the quality of the team coming down to Australia is... I think they're a bit of a sacrificial lamb. Unfortunately, I, I, I don't, I don't see anything other than a five nil. Um, and I know our, our Australian friends are very much going to um, make a big thing of the Ashes, like it's a, a big series. Yeah. It's not. It's like the West Indies touring. It's like Pakistan touring. It's that standard <laughs> of that standard of opposition. Yeah. Um, but we'll have a great day. We'll, we'll, we'll watch some good cricket um, and. I'll still support England. I always will. Um, but uh, unfortunately, uh, the fans have been let down. The England fans have been let down because they still sell out, sell out the stadiums. It's still hard to get a ticket for Test Match cricket. Um, but we've been sold out by a pyjama competition uh, where they look like they're all ready to go to bed uh, for the sake of some, some money in the ECB account. Great, great conversation, Tom. Uh, just before finishing it up... Uh... I have a few rapid fire questions for you. To okay. And on a good good note. Just don't think too much. And yeah. So your favorite cricketer, past and present, from from England. From England, uh, past Andrew Flintoff. Uh, loved it. Had had some fight. Um, I was a big fan of Darren Goff as well. Um, present English one uh, I've got to go with my ginger brother Ben Stokes I think he's uh, he epitomizes the, the three lines I love him yeah and uh, if I speak about outside English cricket outside English cricket um, favourite player at the moment I, love, I enjoy watching Pat Cummings bowl uh, I think he's I think he's great to watch um, and yeah I, I don't think you can go too far away from from Kane Richardson, beautiful technique, lovely to watch, really good on the eye. Uh, you meant yeah. Kane Williamson, right? Kane Williamson, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard Richardson. Sorry, that's all right. That's all right. No, he's <laughs> he, 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 he's 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 great to watch. Kane Williamson, he's yeah, he's he's uh, 
yeah, he's probably he's probably one of my favourites to watch outside. Yeah, outside England. Good. If if you remember the two thousand five Ashes, what what is the best memory that you have? Uh, has to be the Edge Baston Test. Um, it, it, there's, there's two standouts for me. There's the Edge Baston Test, and then there's Kevin Peterson's innings at the Oval, where he he said, "I'm here." Um, yeah, he he stamped his mark down. But the Edge Baston Test. Um, I remember watching that. We watched the final. Uh, so the, the final day, I was playing. It was a Saturday. I was I was out on the pitch, and all of a sudden, kind of they needed forty. Uh, they didn't have a lot of batsmen left, and we, we thought we're, we're in here. And then slowly, people were shouting, saying, "Oh, they only need thirty. Oh, they only need 20. And once they got to fifteen, the both captains shook hands, and we went off and watched the the final um, final few overs. Um, and yeah. Harmison through to Garrett Jones, yeah, it was it was special. The two two thousand, I think that's one of the that's one of the greatest series I've ever seen. It was ebbed and flowed. You've got Warren McGrath, you've got some world class cricketers on show. So yeah, yeah, two, yeah, Edge Baston Test match two thousand and five. The definitely some some great matches that that I can recollect. The best best series for Test cricket. So yeah, so if if you're speaking about this, so what would you rate higher, the 2005 Ashes victory or the 2019 World Cup? Oh, <laughs> I'm a traditionalist. I'll go the 2005. Um, I know we beat Australia en route to beat the to win the win the World Cup, and we didn't just beat them. We we did wipe the floor with them, um, and they've been they've been our ODI whipping boys for for quite a while, which is lovely to watch, um, but. The 2005 Ashes, yeah, for me, w- w- was a very special moment in, uh, and with some very special cricketers playing. Um, yeah, I've, I've got to go with the 2005. It was, it was to, to beat a team that has McGrath and Warning. Um, yeah. You've got to be good you, with Hayden and Langer at the top of the. They were an unbelievable side. How they didn't win, I don't know. Tough question this for you, and as, as you rightly pointed out, the the opposition made it more uh, very good. The the win, the victory over Aussies who were dominating at that time. Yes, that's, that's that makes it extra special. Yeah. So the, just the last question for this: uh, looking at two thousand, uh, this T Twenty upcoming T Twenty World Cup in Abu Dhabi, Dubai, UAE. Yep. And uh, looking at English cricket, what is your prediction? Where will they go, and what would be your uh, playing eleven, if you can put it down? Yeah, look hard, uh, hard to say. Um, let's we know we haven't got Archer, um, and let's presume we don't have Stokes, uh, and Stokes gives us that balance. So I, I think the, the key to England winning the T Twenty World Cup uh, is balance. Is making sure they they get the right players. Um, and the right amount of, of overs available. Uh, who do I go with? I think he, I think you open with Josh Butler. I think he's wasted low down the order. So he probably opens with Jason Roy. Um, he's not in the squad, but I'd have Root at three. I, I know he's not played T20 cricket for a while, but I would have Root at three. Um, and then you have, Morgan's going to come in. Bairstow's going to come in. Livingston's going to pl- going to play. So what we down to six? Um, 
you've got your keeper in Bairstow, so you probably play another. You probably play Mo and Ali. Uh, seven Wokes probably bats at eight, so you so you, you're batting deep. Um, Wood probably comes in uh, as one of the bowlers. You've probably got Jordan, uh, pro- David White. Yeah, Jordan. Sir. You've got Jordan. David Wiley, Sam Curran, and uh, another uh, your left armer. Uh, you got you got goes back of the hand, Timon Mills. Yeah, you've got so, Timon so, Mills in the squad. So, so you 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 your bowling lineup is probably Mo and Ali, uh, Adil Rashid, uh, and then you've probably got Wood, Jordan, and Mills is is probably your bowling lineup. And then if you want some variation, you probably drop one of Mills or Wood, and you play one of the left armers. So you probably play. Curran because he can bat, although Willie can hit a long ball. Yeah. So again, look, you, you take Archer and Stokes out of the bowling lineup, and you, you know, you're a little bit, you're a little bit light. Do you need to play Mo and Ali if you've got Livingston? Don't know. You can probably play Livingston over Mo and Ali and play a deal Rashid. So look, there, there's a few options, um, but I'm I'm dumbfounded how. How Joe Root's not playing. He's he's the informed batsman in the world at the moment, and he's he's played T Twenty cricket for Yorkshire and scored runs. He's played ODI cricket for England and scored runs. I, I think I think they've missed the trick there. They've mi- they've got as you say we spoke earlier about mentality, and they're backing their players to go bang 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 and clear the boundaries. You need rotation of strike, especially against spinners. Joe Root plays the spinners well. On, on pitches that are going to turn. So you probably need Brute just to see the innings through there because I don't think you can be too aggressive against Ravi Jadeja, you know, against these world-class spinners. You can't be too aggressive against them. But we'll see. Watch this space. Let's, uh, my yeah. prediction um, My prediction is depends on the route to the final. But I, I'm going. I'm, then this is going to please please some people that are listening, but I think it's going to be an India-England final. Okay. Oh, so I'll, I'll, I'll ask you another one. Yeah. India-England final. Fair enough. Uh, what, what would your top four then? Top four? Uh, the, the top four teams? Yeah. I'm going to go a bit left of field here. I'm going to go with the West Indies. I think the West Indies got a, got a very balanced side and they've got some real experience in their team now. Um, I think India and England are there. Fourth one is a top is it, Yeah. Australia or New Zealand? I'm going to go with New Zealand. I think I'm going to go West Indies, New Zealand. I think New Zealand haven't got a great deal of depth. I think Australia are still not quite sure about their balance. I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure where they're quite at. I'm not sure they've got enough depth. I think Warner's out of horribly out of form in the IPL at the moment. Steve Smith's not being selected in the IPL at the moment. Um, they're bowling strong. Uh, I think they've got some, some some bowling is strong, but I think there's some players you can target if if you're you, you look at the spinners. Adam Zampa's probably going to bowl, um, but you know Stoinis has now picked up this this hamstring injury in the IPL. Yeah. So Cummins, uh, you probably quite like facing Cummins and Hazelwood in the in the UAE because they a bit comes onto the bat with a bit of pace. I don't think they're going to be bouncy wickets. So I, I think Australia are probably probably not quite got that. 
Whereas you look at New Zealand, they've got Bolt, who has got all the tricks in the trade with with his different deliveries. South is the same. Um, I think they've got a, a better balanced attack. And as I said, with with the West Indies, I think they've got a lot of experience. You, you know, you've got Pollard, you've got Bravo, you've got Chris Gale, you've got these big name players who are going to come in around Holder and you know uh, um, Heitmeyer Russell. and Russell. You've got these these players who, who are playing in the IPL for a reason. So yeah, yeah my, my top four, I'm going to put my head on the line and say England, India, the West Indies, and New Zealand. Great. I think that's pretty much my top four as well for for the upcoming World Cup. Thank thank you so much, Tom, for uh, for having this conversation. Uh, starting from your experience of being a PE teacher, finishing with the, with English cricket and predictions for the T Twenty World Cup. I had I had lovely time. I was in my mind. I was like, I want to cover this as well. I want to cover this as well. I want. I don't want to miss on this topic. And I think I can still. speak to you for one more hour about this but uh, probably i'll i'll get you again in on the podcast somewhere down the line yeah and yeah just hoping i can I, we can do this again thank thank you so yeah. much tom no abby thanks so much for having me uh on on spotify um it's been a really enjoyable conversation um love being on um and yeah th- thanks so much and and i hope uh, Yeah, you know, I look forward to listening to your 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 podcast in the in the coming days on my on my drive to work when hopefully we get back into uh, into into school and 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 fingers crossed um you know fingers crossed you, you remember who I am when you're when you're famous okay <laughs> sure thanks Tom excellent yeah. cheers Abby so that was Tom a diehard English cricket fan. with a very little hope of England win in the upcoming Ashes series looking forward to watching the boxing day test match live from MCG with him i had a lovely time having this conversation with tom and i just feel that i could go on and on and i can't run of run out of topics and i hope i can get him back on this podcast to speak about the uncovered topics hope you all enjoyed this episode and got insights into the role of pe teacher And if you have any story you want to share with everyone, reach out to me via any social media channels. Till then, stay safe and stay tuned for more sportifying stories.